Tony Nicolick is a lawyer and criminologist with a significant background in criminal law, family law, commercial law and human rights. Tony's written a letter to the Health Minister of New South Wales and other state and federal parliamentarians of his concerns about the prolonged suspension of rights and movements of Australian citizens during this pandemic. As there are currently serious concerns about the safety of vaccines, he's requested that all orders relating to mandates of any kind in Australia cease and the government desist from recruiting businesses to act as proxies to roll out vaccines by the use of coercive industrial relations sanctions. He's also invited the Premier's Office and Minister for Health to provide evidence justifying the lockdowns and need to vaccinate healthy people. Tony, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you having me on. You've written a letter to the New South Wales state and federal parliamentarians. Can you tell us about the background to this and what you're seeking from these elected representatives? Uh, Essentially, there's a few parts to that. Um, One is firstly, uh, it was to engage uh, our elected uh, representatives. Uh, what What we tended to find was uh, there were a lot of communications going to uh, elected representatives of which no responses were um, being received or very little response. It it appeared as though one unilateral message was coming out and um, all uh, uh, questions with respects to uh, why the vaccines uh, are being rolled out in such a manner. Uh, In particular, we could see that uh, there were suggestions of a mandatory uh, type of vaccine rollout and and that was something that a lot of people were approaching my offices um, to have that addressed and and quite frankly uh, the letter on the other side was all about empowering people with knowledge because they weren't receiving it Um, what we were being told was uh, is that the media um, and uh, politicians um, had a duty to inform the public of both the risks and the benefits but when it came to the uh, vaccines nothing was really or very little i should say uh, was being said about the risks associated to these vaccines Um, and so a large part of that letter was not only about having that element of um, the concerns from the public that I was receiving addressed, um, but also to provide the public with a little bit of certainty as to what the relevant research was coming up with globally and not just in Australia. Um, And to that end, we felt that it was almost an obligation um, to provide the Australian citizen, um, those in particular uh, where I was receiving calls from distraught Uh, young um, Australians in particular I can give you one example where I had a young lady going into the airport as a worker being told I believe it was on the 28th of June that if she didn't respond to a mandatory vaccine uh, edict being sent down the line um, for a mandatory vaccination that her roster she would not be placed on the roster in the next two weeks now i looked into that a little bit further and i ended up finding out that there was an enormous amount of workers who were being told the very same thing and and receiving it now those workers spanned across um the airlines um and that that included baggage handlers that included warehouse people initially now that has been amended to my understanding um that we had people who uh were front line in the airport so from a number of different areas um were approaching us saying why why is this why is it mandatory how has it become mandatory so this letter also addressed that issue which was the vaccines themselves um there is almost a stark concession here with respect to the fact that uh, the vaccine themselves are not really addressing the fact that you can't contract it. That is a concession they've made all the way through. So people are saying to us, well, if it can't stop us from getting it or transmitting it, then, um, and it's really about managing the symptoms, why is it mandatory? And secondly, how is this going to translate to 
the safety and effectiveness of this uh, medication in the future. So they were the relevant issues. And going back to the fact of uh, the empowering people, a lot of people said, and what we're receiving both in email and, and social media, we've got a Telegram page out there, uh, people are saying thank you. Like no one gave us this information. We would have expected that information to come from the institutions that really um, should be providing that information. Now, we're not here to step on anyone's toes. Um, and so the information we provided um, was to the best that I could drum up in a few days, the research coming from eminently qualified scientists um, and doctors globally. Um, and that research, as you could see in my letter, came from 27 European Union countries, the USA and Australia. So people didn't know that. They didn't know how many people were having serious adverse reactions uh, from these vaccines. They just weren't being told. And the whole idea of the uh, letter was the people would now receive that and they said not only thank you but now we can actually say with conviction that what we thought or suspected was happening is true or potentially true and that is essentially why we did what we did. What do you expect to come from the letter? I mean we know what prolific uh, writers they are in responding uh, will this be placed in a too hard basket or will they uh, address it or do you find yourself uh, being encouraged to live elsewhere? Well, there, there are a few parts to that. One is um, not only on the empowering side, but what, what, what we see here is is that we expect um, some sort of a response uh, to this latest uh, letter. Um, I, I will say that I totally agree. We, we're not receiving um, a, a terribly... Uh, uh, complex response as a matter of fact very few um, have responded but we expected that um, and we expected that on the basis of uh, the as I said in the opening remarks in this is in this interview was um, uh, they haven't really been engaging the community um, transparently and that, that is one of the biggest concerns um, that a lot of the people who are approaching my office have um, and there, there appears to be a lot of uh, uh, fear amongst those people. So those people, um, I, I can uh, tell you they are uh, airport workers. Um, they come from the emergency services, um, uh, police, ambulance. Um, I'm, I'm receiving calls from doctors, uh, bricklayers, mums, dads, real estate agents, retail, um, teachers, um, pilots, both fixed wing and helicopter. Um, they're all saying... Um, that they're receiving correspondence from their respective workplaces that they want to make this mandatory. Um, and this letter actually served as a purpose because, see, we weren't hearing about this, were we? If you look at the mass media, there, there was nothing about this. They, they spoke about aged care workers. But in the background, what we didn't know and that we do know now is there is there is extensive correspondence between employers and their employees saying that if you don't get a certain vaccine by a certain date, um, you either won't be uh, rostered on or you'll be stood down or you may potentially uh, lose your position within that establishment. Now, that provoked a, uh, a large amount of backlash between the community or in the community, and um, that has also uh, led to where we are now, which was us um, uh, providing some correspondence to actually encapsulate that and um, give that to our elected representatives who should be really... Uh, taking those representations and putting them before Parliament and letting them know that mandatory vaccinations really isn't going to be a very popular uh, agenda to put before the Australian people. Um, and so when we look at how that has occurred um, and the stealth and the surprise at which that has come across, um, people are very concerned. And like I said, I, I'm getting people literally crying. I'm getting people saying, how can I, how can I uh, fend for my family? I'm not going to get the vaccine, but why am I now being forced or compelled um, legally to do it? Where six, seven months ago, they were saying nobody will be uh, given a mandatory vaccine, but here it is. And it's true. Um, and 
what we've been seeing is people being labelled as anti-vaxxers. Mm. Now, that there, that there is telling you that that is a, uh, a social engineering product is what some of my people have been saying. It's a social engineering product to make people feel guilty mm. that if, if they do not accept this vaccine, that they are to be treated almost as a leper. Excuse the language, mm. but you're going to go there. And, and what we're actually seeing, and, and, and perhaps we may address this later or not, but um, one of the four-stage plans uh, from uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison, um, one of the steps um, actually encapsulates um, the distinction between vaccinated and unvaccinated. So I have serious concerns with respect to mm. civil liberties moving forward. Um, and... Well, we, yeah. we, seem, we seem, though, to, to uh, why not seem, we're, we're working almost in unison with the rest of the world. For example, in the US, uh, uh, just today it's been announced that US military all must be vaccinated. And they're going to have a very small army in an air force shortly, but they all have to be vaccinated by September, which is only a few weeks away. In France, for example, uh, the uh, president there has just decided to uh, have this, the, these new passports, and unless you have these passports, you can't go to most public places. In Ireland, the same thing. Uh, in Australia, we have, and it's, and it's really quite very concerning if you think about it, we have a majority at the moment, or portrayed as a majority by the media and uh, all the other mafia uh, cohorts. It's portrayed as a, um, that if you don't do it, as you mentioned, you're an anti-vaxxer. You're a, you're a bad person. You're not doing it for the country. These people that have taken this this vaccine uh, on the premise that it's safe and, you know, it's not. There are a lot of adverse events that are happening, reactions that are happening. But no one talks about this. So when they do an informed consent form and they say, yes, that's the information that I need to say that this vaccine is safe. If I had the same form but re, re, rewritten, of course, and I had a house that had a sinkhole on the back, but I sort of neglected to mention that, that sale wouldn't go through and I would most likely be charged. So tell me this, this informed consent, it's not really informed, is it? Well, no, and, 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 and therein lies the issue with how can it be mandatory, but then you can yeah. um, give an informed consent. It, it, it just doesn't work. And secondly, thanks for raising that because that is a critical issue here. The, the, the idea of informed consent is an extremely important part of any medical procedure um, not just here, but all around the world. Um, and, and the fear really is this, is, is that the, the fact that a government can then interfere or intervene in that private relationship. Now, that is, that is a relationship that has lasted centuries, centuries. And that is important. People should not overlook this issue of informed consent. And... When we look at the issue of informed consent, you cannot have an informed consent but mandatory, okay? So that then throws all that out the door. Secondly, what's coming next? Well, I can then mandatorily impose heart surgery on everyone. I can mandatorily impose that everyone takes a, a benzodiazepine. I mandatorily uh, uh, inject you with other things. Why? Because... We're in power and we can do so. Mm. There is a slippery slope here that my suggestion is people really need to stand up um, right now, mm. not tomorrow, but now you need to stand up and, and start looking at and asking questions. Ask the question, what is this going to do? How does it affect me? What is it going to do to my children? Now, as you could see in my letter, we had... Um, uh, documents uh, supplied to us from by way of freedom of information from the Therapeutic Goods Administration, which is the Australian version of the Food and Drug Administration in the USA or the FDA. And it, it clearly said quite clearly that we, 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 we haven't done any tests. We don't know how this is going to react in the human body. Secondly, one of the documents that I'm going to refer to as document nine for the sake of this interview basically said we did no tests on fertility, we did no tests on carcinogenicity, and we did no tests on uh, genotoxicity. But yet 
they go on to suggest that because there is none there, there is no reason to doubt its safety. Well, <laughs> how do we come to that yeah. sort of a conclusion? Yeah. How, how can we say to mums and dads out there that we're about to inject your child with something we know nothing about? And the TGA, they, they're just saying, well, short term, we think this is what's happening and it may do this and it may, but yeah. let's put may in brackets here because we don't know. We, we just don't know. And what a lot of people are coming to us saying is, I'd prefer to be sacked or stood down or whatever because I don't know what's in this. And every time I talk to someone, they're calling me an anti-vaxxer. Well, mm. if it means that that's the case, the way I, I, I respond is by saying this, is that right now it looks as though it's a, a, a worldwide experiment, okay? And it's okay for you to be in the placebo group. That's not an anti-vaxxer, okay? Mm, mm. The, it's really, um, I mean, S- Senator Malcolm Roberts uh, quoted uh, Greg Hunt when he said, uh, we're in the uh, middle of a, the world's greatest trial, something like that. And that's what yes. it is. Uh, yeah. Look, it, uh, you know, f- my wife works at a company and they're all mm-hmm. running around the place going, Yahoo, we got the jab. Have you got the jab? So the social pressure, the peer pressure is enormous. The businesses are being encouraged by uh, Lieutenant General Nitwit, uh, that we, you know, that businesses can, you know, they can give you the jab. It's good for the com- company, it's good for uh, customers, it's good for the country. Uh, all of these is entirely wrong. But do these employees have any legal protection or access to compensation if they become ill from the vaccines? I mean, just imagine if you, you're a mechanic, eh, and I worked uh, collecting the oil. And I said to you, look, I'm going to give you this injection. Uh, don't know what's in it. Could be oil, and oils ain't oils. Um, or it could be something really bad, but take it. And then I give it to you because it's what the company wants. It's what the country wants. It's what Lieutenant General Nitwit wants. Uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison wants it. We all want it. You've got to have the jab. And I give it to you, and I look around. There you are laying flat out on your back. And I think, well, I better try and save you. Oh, I can't save you. I don't know how to, but I can fix your car up. I mean, the whole thing, it, it just, it's insane, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. And it, and it, and, and it takes me back to the days. And, and I, I published a book chapter in uh, 2014, and that had to do with um, uh, fraud and false claims against the taxpayer. And that is a unique uh, US uh, federal law yeah, called the False Claims Act mm. uh, 3729 to 3733 and that relevantly provides a number of uh, remedies um, for whistleblowers to come forward and expose fraud against uh, the taxpayer. Remember, there's no such thing as government money, it's taxpayer money. Mm. Um, and so it's fraud against the taxpayer and uh, through through my research, and I did that with the ANU, the Australian National University, um, and it was published in the International Handbook of Whistleblower Research, uh, of which Chapter 16 was I was a contributor. Um, now, what I what I found through that was um, a, a a stark, but very very troubling, and I mean troubling issue with respect to uh, the pharmaceutical industry. Now, they happen to be one of the most heavily litigated uh, industries. Um, on this earth, um, notwithstanding the issues that occurred with IG Farben and, and through the uh, the death camps in, in Nazi Germany, but I traced that line all the way through, and um, you'll you'll find billion dollar that's B with it that's B for billion dollar settlements from the United States Department of Justice investigations by the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the FBI. So they're not conspiracy theories, okay? There are deferred prosecutions. Um, there were False Claims Act litigation um, successfully litigated. Mm. And that had to do with clinical trial misconduct, false claims in uh, a, a range of pharmaceutical issues, um, um, we had ghostwriting. So ghostwriting is where there's people behind the scenes writing mm. um, favourably for a certain uh, medication. But the, the troubling issue really comes down to the fact that uh, uh, where we're heading now is a slippery slope and it's not one that a lot of people want to engage in. Now, looking at it from another perspective, I guess there is a balance there. 
there is a balance. The, the government's saying, well, we need to look after X, Y, Z. Then we need to break that down a little bit further and just ask ourselves, well, what is the risk for the under 50s? Well, the state of scientific knowledge at this point says it is so low. And Peter McCulloch, in his interview yesterday, um, pointed out that terrible infomercial, I think it's just a fear campaign, and, and it was actually addressed in my letter a few days earlier before the information came out, is how uh, uh, the issue of fear is driving society down a, a very troubling course where everyone's got this existential anxiety. That existential anxiety, really, if you put it up against everything, it, it's, it's rather minute. It, 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 I'm not saying it's not there. Let's let's mm. let's let's be frank. It, it, it's there, but the alpha variant mm. was deadlier than the uh, the uh, delta variant. Mm. The delta variant is more transmissible. We got over the alpha variant without a vaccine. Mm. Isn't that what's that telling us? What's that telling us? And secondly, when we look at the delta variant and the vaccines, well, they've actually conceded it's not going to stop you from getting it. So. Even if I do work at the airport, I've got a vaccine. Mm. The person coming in is still going to get it, and that's still going to get to the to to society. So, mm. I, I'm I'm struggling. And, and can I tell you something? A lot of the calls I'm getting from the community, they're struggling to comprehend the duplicitous the duplicitous um, information that's coming through. Now, another example is there was a, a concert uh, spring loaded at Randwick. Um, some months, two months ago, in which case uh, people outside sweating and jumping and in a rock concert, mm. and they're all in this, what they call the mosh pit. But if you walk 10 feet the other way and went into the bar to get yourself a lemonade, um, you had to sit down and you couldn't walk around. And, and everyone's just looking around thinking this is just a, a, a monumental uh, uh, case of um, hypocrisy here. But that being said, people are encouraged to follow the rules and follow the orders, and they've been doing so. But you know, it, you know, when we're looking at we're looking at deaths um, overseas related to the vaccines, and yet we still want to make them mandatory. What are we doing? Are we mandatorily mm. sending people somewhere to their grave, or what, what, what is happening? And I think these are the questions that that we're receiving mm. now. That's that's not a fear campaign mm. on my behalf. Mm. I'm just trying to uh, trying to understand how we get to this point. Um, yeah. So but what happens, I think, Tony? But what happens if, if for example, they get the jibby jab? Um, I love that word, jibby jab. Uh, but they get that and then they, um, they get sick. What, what about compensation? I saw Jackie Lambie's uh, um, quiet uh, remonstration with um, somebody from the TGA and I thought that was, uh, she had some very good points. How do they do it? How do they get compensation? All right, um... And sorry, I did allude, I went off on a path there, but the, the compensation is like this. Greg Hunt has recently announced a package that he believes um, is like an indemnity package. Um, and uh, the actual full uh, uh, information with respect to that hasn't been released. So it's, it's, we're, we're touching on what we know. Um, so I just want that little caveat out there. But um, where, where we're sitting here is this, is that if you're a GP pharmacist, um, you um, you may be indemnified for administering um, the uh, the shot, um, and the indemnity, in my view, is just another stark stark concession that these aren't safe. Okay, mm. that's just a stark concession right there that these aren't safe, and I'm amazed how people you all most most of the people calling my offices are, but a lot of people aren't. Um, so that's a stark concession there. But then on the other side, where the indemnity, how far is that going to go? So with respect to what you were saying there, what that leaves then is if you're not happy or someone's been hurt or died, um, and um, I, I can give you some statistics on that, for instance, on one of the vaccines, I won't name them, um, the Europe 20, one of the 27 uh, European countries, like for instance, cardiac disorders, 964 deaths, um, six deaths, congenital, uh, familial and genetic issues. Um, so there's all these links. That's in my paper. I won't go through that, but they're there. Um, so if you're not happy with that indemnity, so they might say, okay, well, someone's passed away. And I, like I said, let, let, let's let's just take it for what it is, and say we don't have the full details on it. So let's say a wrongful death um, mm. uh, in that instance. Uh, well, here's a hundred thousand dollars. Now we're sorry about what happened. Um, 
is that sufficient? Are you going to are you going to take that risk for your child? Um, that's that's one thing. Secondly, if you don't like that, then you've got to go to the courts. And this is something that is critical for a lot of people to understand. If you go to the courts, and this is what Jackie Lambie was uh, uh, alluding to, if you go to the courts, the cost of taking that case to a court and proving causation is is, is out of reach for 90, 99%, 98% of Australia's population, mm. okay? It's out of reach. So really, it's... You're being, it's almost as if people are being set up to fail. Now, there are some very good law firms out there that do have the capacity to run big, large-scale actions, but look at what you're going to have to go to to get what you may believe to be an adequate, adequate compensation package. Um, and when I talk about causation, I think this is a very critical point that a lot of people have missed here, is that the burden and it's, it was very stealthily applied, is that the burden has switched to the consumer, and no one's picked up on this. Now, that burden is this, is that it's up to the consumer to prove that the medication is not safe rather than the product manufacturer proving that the medication is safe before it gets to the consumer or to the best standard possible. That burden has now been switched, okay? So you now have to take that matter to a court and say to them, well, this medication is dangerous because of, and they're going to say, well, we passed it through your drug regulator, and they said it could have been safe for mm. this reason. A classical case uh, in that is the Peterson Merck Sharp Dome case, um, and that was the Vioxx case. If anyone wants to look it up, it's quite an extensive reasoning there, but it fell on causation and damages, so they couldn't prove how a certain uh, medication caused the issues that caused the damage. Now, perhaps there are other more complicated issues um, with respect to the case itself, but in a general sense, what it, what it left was, was Vioxx that, in that case, they said uh, created myocardial infarction or heart, um, heart attacks. Um, it was up to the plaintiffs to prove it was not safe. And how are they going to do it? But there's there's no chance. I mean, if you've got um, Billy Smith and Mr. And Mrs. Smith down the road and they want to take um, Vice to court or um, uh, AstraZeneca or uh, Moderna and the others, uh, they've got no chance. <laughs> They're not going to be able to do it because you've got a mum and dad against a multi-trillion dollar uh, company that is supported by the federal and state governments Big tech, the media, and before you even start, you're going to lose, aren't you? Oh, it's it, as I said, it's it's almost as if it's set up to fail. Mm. The, the 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 Australian citizen has been set up to fail, and that certainly doesn't lend itself to the scales of justice, does it? No, how it can doesn't. you give? How how can you give? Uh, and, and I'm just raising the question: mm. How can you give someone an indemnity for something that they admit? They actually concede it can take your life, mm. okay, in some instances, no matter how rare it is. But we're hearing those messages in the media, well, that's a rare one, that's a rare one, that's a rare one. Why don't you get all those rare ones and put them all together? <laughs> that's right. But the rare <laughs> one is, that, but the rare one is, though, is, the, is that the media, and, you know, we talk about big tech, we talk about government, talk about big pharma. I think one of the, um, the uh, right up the very top is the media because... And, and social media, but the media in this country, for example, it used to be Sky that was a, a little bit more on the um, tell the truth side. Um, you, you show me, you show me in the last few months, anyone that's talked about the dangers of the vaccines. There is none. And would that be? And this is probably being, you know, quite quite rude of me. But would that be because? I often see many commercials running, supporting uh, vaccinations on that particular network or other networks. So I was always taught, never bite the hand that feeds you. And this would seem a, a massive fail of journalism. It's a, a complete cover up. And um, it gets back to the, again, the informed consent because we or the public do not know the the dangers, the absolute BS. It doesn't even pass a pub test. So 
we've got all these these sort of things that are coming into play, haven't we? Oh, absolutely. Um, the 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 issues here are um, where there's um, um, there's a lot of money circulating, and that's where my book chapter actually touches on a lot of that. Mm. Um, I can send you a copy of that for circulation if you'd like, Mike. But yeah, please do. Um, um, you, you'll actually see that there are conflicts of interest. Um, you, you, you'll see kickbacks, uh, and I'm not just saying that. I'm saying people that actually been taken to court and convicted with these sorts of things. Okay, so they're not things that are you know pie in the sky conspiracy theories. They're not. They're legitimate issues that you know i was ex- i've been exposing since uh 2014 mm. um and, and and moving moving that forward the you know it is my understanding that uh the 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 relevant um uh, regulators drug regulators are actually sponsored by the actual industry upon which they're supposed to be regulating now i'm not suggesting anything malevolent or malicious there mm. but i think what we need is arm's length transactions okay just to give the community some comfort as to okay x dollars went in where did that money go mm. and what has it been used for mm. and secondly we also should be maintaining um, what what i would believe an ethical uh, type of standard to maintain and manage the conflicts of interest. Mm. So, for instance, an ex-executive of a certain um, whoever it may be, and they're there, um, in high-level uh, uh, task forces, if you'd like to call it, um, and only a year ago they were a high-level executive as at, at a multinational uh, pharmaceutical company mm. um, in circumstances where... Um, that pharmaceutical company happens to be one of the leading uh, people um, administering a vaccine mm. um, now being overseen by that regulator. Um, these are the things that people, they're just legitimate concerns. No one's saying, hey, you know, you're on the take. No one's saying that. It's just a legitimate uh, thing. It's it's on the public record. So people should and have a right to question that. And we should have an answer. Um, and so they're, they're, they're legitimate concerns. Look, we mentioned before, I mentioned before, talking about the military in the, in the US where they're saying that uh, by September, I'm not sure whether it's the start of September or the end of, I think it's at the start of September, that they all have got to take the vaccines. Uh, in this country, do you think mandatory vaccinations risk the loss of many frontline staff, such as aged care, uh, the, the police, uh, the, our military? Um, and, and, and you don't want it replicating what happened in um, in the uh, about ten years ago with anthrax when they gave it to the uh, the soldiers. Um, they developed all these terrible sicknesses um, uh, three or four years after they had been given this this anti anthrax uh, uh, vaccine. So they've got all these sort of things in the back of the mind that you know th- these people they, they they should all be blessed whether it's the police, the army, uh, anybody on the front line. Uh, are doing a great job and they've got a great love for their community. But if they don't get the vaccine, they're going to um, not be able to perform that duty. Um, so what about the losses? Do you think, just from your own experience and from the number of calls that you're getting, uh, will those losses be severe? Oh, I, I certainly think if, if, if the population or, or the, the, the representative sample that is calling my office translates to the larger population, then I, I'm certainly not being an alarmist. But it could be almost an industrial react, uh, uh, an industrial strike of a scale that Australia's never seen. Mm. And that wasn't because people aren't going to work because they want fair pay. They, it, it could well be, and I can tell you based on the information that I'm getting from people is... There's, they can sack me. I don't care, and I, and I'm just not going to go to work. And that then becomes a, a catastrophe, not only for the government and essential critical services at the front line, of which I am a massive supporter of the police, the ambulance, and our, our front line military. What they've done in the last say 20, 30 years, absolutely amazing. Mm. Absolutely amazing. All those people, let's not take it, aged care workers, you know, 
there's just too many to name, okay? Mm. But everyone, look, Australia is one of those countries where we do, you know, we don't mind rolling our sleeves up when we need to do that and we don't mind doing things. But to try and pull a mandatory vaccination um, by stealth um, and, and slowly, uh, and when I say slowly, I mean um, they crept it in with all those messages. No, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And then, bang, they, give you, they, they gave everyone seven days to do it. Mm. That there um, may indeed trigger a, um, and I'm certainly not supporting anything of that nature. But you, you, you know, people just, they're going to say, "Well, sack me, yep, sack me." We're not here for greater money, and that's an industrial action, right? But this could trigger something where aged care facilities, hospitals, because I've got nurses, I've got doctors, I've got police officers. Um, they're all saying to me, "Tone, I'm concerned," and some are saying, "Mate." I don't care. I'm happy to, for instance, one guy said, I'm happy to be on my farm chopping wood and, um, excuse me, I'm happy to be chopping wood and building my shed on my property. I don't need to go back to work. And that's a police officer. Mm, okay. Wow. That's just right. terrible. And I would imagine it's right through the whole industry. But, what, you know, I talk about industry. Um, you know, the, 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 the top industrial, I suppose, leaders, for want of a better word, are really pushing you know, they're right behind this vaccinations. Um, what's in it for them? It's Isn't it just too risky? Is there, is there uh, and, I, and I'm wrong here, by the way, but is there a sense of loyalty to the country? No, there's not. But what? why would they want to push a vaccination unless there was something back in it for them? Well, I don't have any evidence or facts to suggest why or why not. I think at the end of my letter, I actually asked that we should get a copy of the contracts because, mm. um, and I've been seeing some correspondence since um, stating, oh, they're, they're national security. Well, you're injecting that national security in everyone's arms. Mm. How can it be national? <laughs> so I was a bit amazed when it came to that. But, you know, I think that, you know, to give to give the short answer, I really don't have the evidence as to what, and I've, I hear a lot about what the agenda is, and and you know until we get facts and evidence as to what it is. But I think if we go back to document nine that I suggested to you earlier with respect to, you know, we don't know about the fertility, we don't know about the studies on carcinogenicity, and we we certainly don't know and have any studies with respect to the um uh, the uh, uh, genotoxicity of these things. They're three very critical things, and if I could just backtrack one, one, one little, one little step to the military and all them. Don't forget what happened with mesothelioma. That came out early 1900s, and it really, as you would, as you would know, Mike, and a lot of Australians would know, a lot of Australians lost their lives to asbestos and mesothelioma injuries. But journals were coming out in the 1920s, and that's saying how dangerous it was, and and mesothelioma. It wasn't until, what, 90s or something? Let's not mention tobacco, the tobacco industry, mm. where that science had, was known for a long time, and it's only recently that that's the case. What about our diggers that went to Vietnam and, mm. and, and suffered the effects of Agent Orange? They knew about that for a long time. What about thalidomide? Uh, that's the fear that a lot of people have, okay? And it's a real fear. We spoke to um, ex-Chief Commissioner uh, Kel Glare the other day, and he was saying that, it's really quite apt for, you know, for this conversation. He said, um, uh, uh, what do you say? Uh, power breeds corruption. Absolute power breeds absolute corruption. The, you know, we, we see you know, federal parliament, they're going along with the ride. They're saying it's all up to the medical fraternity. You know, we, we, we're going to follow the, the science or the medicine, which it's not. It's following the desires of those uh, particular uh, you know, advisors. Uh, and then... Peter McCullough said, you know, we asked him, what's, what, what's the, the major problem? He said, take out the control from the health advisors because their job is just to advise. For example, if uh, they say you shouldn't have so much sugar, shouldn't do that, shouldn't do that. It'd be like the government saying, we're going to you know, lock you up, jail you, throw away all, all rights. If you have sugar, you have too much of that, too much of that. It's just advice. Do you think, uh, getting back to what Peter was saying, do you think maybe... Uh, that the we've sort of handballed responsibility in some way to medical fraternity. And part of that medical fraternity or mafia, there is a, a bunch of uh, 
undesirables there. They're not I, I, truly. I cannot. I cannot understand how humanity can be so abhorrent to someone else. And that's at the moment we see that. So do you think maybe the 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 medical fraternities such as the uh, AMA, uh, the TGA, should just say, okay, we've done enough. You go back and govern. You were voted into govern, and we will just give you advice. And we're not going to insist like some of these terrible, terrible uh, people have done in various states. And I you know, think of New South Wales and think of Queensland and think of Victoria. Uh, the damage that they've done is just abhorrent. So do you think maybe we need to say enough is enough? You go back to being, your, being the advisor and uh, we'll take that on notice. I certainly think that's a very legitimate point. And it goes back to what I was saying at the start, which was one of the issues, uh, one of the key issues that I wanted to raise in my letter, which was um, the uh, the health bureaucrats um, are using um, certain tactics that they're withholding information um, that we believe should be made public. And that is why one of the uh, central paragraphs in my letter actually asks um, – we need transparency. We need accountability, okay? And that needs to be brought to the public. Well, how do we do that? Well, we've got the health bureaucrats and we've got politicians making uh, decisions that they call science. Now, I think from a lot of what we're seeing, and I think the state of scientific knowledge, and I say scientific knowledge in medicine, has uh, gone forward so far as we now have a really good understanding of where we are yes it is developing and yes we are doing this in a balanced approach and we always need to be cautious about how we go about things but i think we've gone from medical science to political science Mm. that is not medicine okay having and and that brings us back to the mandatory vaccines and it brings us back to the issue of informed consent how is it or how do we become a part of a system and it's the question that I'm asking, how is it or how do we become a part of a medical system where a government is going to tell you or a health bureaucrat is going to tell you what you can and cannot do to your body? Mm. Um, I think that is a legitimate question that we should all be asking. And not only that, is those very same people, so the politicians and uh, health bureaucrats, and I say that with respect, I'm not degrading anyone, um, how is it that they can say, well, your child must get a jab or they're not going to be paid or you need a job or you're not going to get a job? Um, well, I think there are sufficient international covenants and treaties and declarations around the world um, that should be covering that. And, and, and I'm actually asking for those federal senators and politicians get into Parliament and start passing some laws with respect to enshrining some of these and maybe a Civil civil Rights or a Civil Liberties Act um, that is enshrined, okay? Mm. In, and, and we place that um, uh, uh, that authority on the people, mm. okay? All right, that needs to happen. And having decisions coming from the health bureaucrats, and as you could see in my letter there, uh, there was that one, that one paragraph about how health bureaucrats and politicians have increasingly uh, led towards this existential anxiety perspective. Um, And then two days later, we get that infomercial that Peter McCulloch, he done a lovely job in diagnosing that insofar as saying that what you're seeing here is not a young person suffering from COVID-19. What you're seeing here is a young person who is experiencing um, an adverse reaction from the vaccine, especially a blood clot. Um, I think, and that's Peter McCulloch saying Mm. that, who is an eminently qualified Mm. professor in this area. He's written more than anyone. He knows, and hence, they're the sorts of people that I would like to bring to that public gathering, mm. in which case we do a fact-finding mission. And yes, okay, so the government health bureaucrats have made their decisions. They're telling everyone, you need to be locked down. You need to lose your uh, your livelihood. Mm. Your businesses are locked down. You no longer have a business. You no longer can do this. You can't go five kilometres from your house. You can't do a, a range of activities. Um, well, let's test that. Isn't it interesting, though? I'm just thinking that um, we've got this, I mean, a couple of things. Um, the, uh, the state's been locked down. I mean, it's funny that on the Gold Coast, which is right on the border of New South Wales, we've got a, um, a, a big football match uh, coming up. Or, In fact, when this goes to where it's just been, 
And I'm sure that that 50,000 crowd, I'm sure they all went out happy and healthy. You go to a restaurant and you wear your mask uh, in, and then when you eat, uh, you take it off. And it's really, really polite of the virus to say, okay, I respect respect it, you're eating. I'm not going to attack anybody, make anybody sick. But when you finish eating and having this great conversation for about two and a half, three hours, make sure you put your mask on because that's when we're going to attack people and make them sick. It's old nuts, isn't it? The whole thing is just a charade. It's an insult to our intelligence. And we've got to forgive a lot of these people because, you know, they have low IQ. But Prime Minister Morrison's four-stage plan relies heavily on the success of the vaccines and boosters. Now, is it a plan to remove restrictions early or will it just extend the period of restrictions, giving these people with low IQ the chance to control and control and control and control? Yeah, well, the four-stage process that um, the Prime Minister's uh, relevantly provided raises um, um, some issues. Um, Look, I, I think that you know, what is it, phase one, phase one entails vaccinating, preparing in a pilot program, okay? Mm. So it's a it's a pilot program, okay? Mm. Okay, pilot programs are tests, okay? Um, um, they're testing it, okay? So they don't know, okay? Mm. Um, that's one question. The other side of the question is the Prime Minister's looking at, okay, how do we get out of this? And like I was saying at the start, everything, there's a balance and a balance needs to be considered. But where does the science take us? Okay. Mm. Um, and, and really quickly on that four stage process, you know, I think the second, second stage was international arrivals caps uh, would be restored to previous levels for unvaccinated travellers mm. uh, with a separate larger cap for vaccinated. Um, are we not getting into a form of medical apartheid or segregation? We are. Uh, you know, and I asked the question. I'm not saying we are, but that that right there is telling you where we're heading. Mm. And and it goes back to that slow and steady process of inculcation, social inculcation, where those those messages over the last 18 months have been, you're an anti-vaxxer, you're wrong because you want to know what you're putting in your body, uh, you're unvaccinated, you're unhealthy. Well, most of the society, quite honestly, in, 90, in the high 90s, is very healthy. Um, going back to your masks, well, what is it? I think the, the virus has been measured at about 0.06 microns, and I think the best mask we have, save for uh, a hazmat suit, you know, the has, mm. hazardous material spill suit where you've got oxygen filters everywhere in that. Um, I think they're at about 0.01, uh, uh, 0.014 to 0.30. Mm-hmm. So 0.06. And, and, and I think someone aptly uh, stated it in the sense that the mask itself is akin to using a cyclone fence to keep out a fly. Um, I think that's... That sort of stuff needs to be looked at. How, how do we do that? How do, how do we do that? And then we start looking at the third step, which was um, whether the, you know we would return um, to a pre-lockdown uh, uh, society, um, you know, where people are travelling willy-nilly, and and then we need to ask ourselves: Well, does a liberal democracy need to descend itself so far down the rabbit hole that we need vaccine passports? I I cannot see the justification. I'm sorry. I, I, right now, I can't. And that's why I'm asking for the open debate. Mm. I, I can't see what's happening. And then, as you know, the fourth step is, would we return to a pre-pandemic normal? Well, what is a pre-pandemic normal when the intimations are, well, QR codes are going to stay. So you're going to be traced. You're going to be tracked. You're going to have vaccine passports. Mm. Um, yeah, I I, I don't think, know the full details, but yeah. I think the uh, they've left one part off. It says uh, number five, uh, refer back to number one. And I think we go through the whole process again because... Um, I think what's pressing also is this um, suppression of prophylactics. Mm. I would like that out there because um, these prophylactics, um, to my understanding, um, uh, studies have yielded good results for both children, immune-compromised, elderly and pregnant. Mm. Um, those studies have been and shown 
great prospects. Um, now, look, I'm not a medical advisor. I'm not giving medical advice. But um, studies into ivermectin and developing ivermectin as a prophylactic, um, now, they're not mutant agnostic, meaning that it doesn't matter whether the Delta variant comes, the Lombarda, um, I don't care the Zeta, I don't care whether it's the Vindaloo, whatever we come up with, okay? Yeah. Whatever strain it comes up with, these prophylactics, um, from my understanding of the research and from the doctors and professors who have approached me with respect to that, are saying that these um, treatment protocols um, are showing great success, okay? So why are these not being uh, uh, prescribed? And... One thing that I, I really feel is critical here is this, is that why were they made illegal mm. in some states? And even if someone was on their deathbed, why weren't they allowed to be prescribed these medications off-label um, in circumstances where that could have been the life-saving drug? Um, and what are the legal implications to that? Anyway, I just thought yeah. I'd leave No, that's that. a, a great one. See, that's another bottle of red to talk over, that one. Uh, but, you're dead, but you're dead right. I mean, why do they let people die? And that's what you're trying to say. I'll say it. Why do they let people die? There was an answer to stop that. And uh, it, we're not well, just... Well, potentially ma- stop that, Mike. Potentially, yep. I think. And, and we didn't allow it to go through. And as we know, to get a, a provisional or safety emergency approval, there needs to be no other drug on the market, right? Mm, that's right. And... Um, there's another bottle of red just to drown our sorrows. <laughs> Look, Tony, it's a long it's, night, Mike. <laughs> that's right, but it's, you know, it's, that's until they ban us. I mean, we, you know, I mean, for example, if they um, if it becomes mandatory, what I'm doing here just by talking to you, they could argue that I'm actually encouraging someone to break the law. And um, it's a whole new ball game. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, and, and I think if we do that, I, I think it's also important from my perspective too. Sorry to interrupt you there, Mike. That's is that right. You're right. Everything, everything's about a balance. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, you've got two sides. And I always say to people that, you know, um, treat those people out there, you know, the frontline workers, treat them with respect. Because mm. we see a lot of Facebook out there where they're yelling and screaming and, they're, you know, they're saying bad things. And just treat them with respect. They've got a job to do. They're being ordered to do something. They are. We'll come back at this, you know, using a nice civil process. And I think everyone needs to understand that, that there are civil ways of doing this and there's a good way of doing it. And that's what my paper called for. Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's do it openly. My dad was a uh, policeman for a long, long time. And I know with all his friends and uh, their sons who became policemen and people in the military, the vast majority, 99.99999, if not all of them, they do it because they love their community and they love Absolutely. their country. And we need, we need not forget that. But Absolutely. We, we need to see who the puppet masters are. Tony Nicolick, thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.